midst of a series on what it means to be created in the image of God. And the short answer about that is to be created in the image of God is knowing what it means to find your place in the cosmos. This morning we look at um, the theme of power as it relates to the image of God. And uh, our text is again from Genesis. So here, God's word, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man after, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, all the earth, and every tree with the seed in its fruit. And you have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Lord, we pray that you teach us this morning by your spirit and your word about what it means to be human in the world you created. You've endowed us with power and authority. Um, power and authority that we often misuse and abuse um, towards your creation, towards one another. Give us wisdom this morning as we understand our obligations and responsibilities of being office uh, bearers of your image. So be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. To be created in the image of God is uniquely to be a bearer of power and authority within creation. That's very clear in the Genesis text that I just read. It's really repeated two times. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and everything that creeps on the ground. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth and have dominion. Um, this is a theme that's also picked up in Psalm 8, which has been in the mix uh, as well, where the psalmist is reflecting on what is man that you are mindful of him, and the response is, yet you have made human beings a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned, crowned him with glory and honor, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. So this is what theologians call uh, the cultural mandate. Um, the, the commands, three commands in particular, have dominion, uh, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Um, now, I think this account of what it means to be human, what it means to be created in the image of God with this emphasis on power and authority should give us a little bit of pause in our cultural moment, right? There's a way in which the story of human history can be told as a long story of the abuse of power. 
And in fact, that's happening more and more in the way that histories are written. We have abused and exploited creation, which has led to environmental disaster after environmental disaster. We have used and misused and abused our power and relationship to one another. And you know, if you think about the last five years or so in America, we've had something of a cultural reckoning around the use of power as it relates to sex and race and church and politics, right? You've got Black Lives Matter, Me Too, Church Too. All of these in different ways are responses to abuses of power and authority. And so we're in a place in our culture where we're deeply suspicious, uh, especially of people who have a great deal of power and authority. They make us uncomfortable. So again, it's, it's with good reason that I think we're hesitant to, be, uh, to eagerly embrace this vision of what it means to be a human being today, one that, that privileges uh, a definition of power as central to what it means. If anything, we, we tend to want to think in the opposite direction, right? We need to disavow power um, in terms of how we think about our relationships to the created order and, and one another, right? So um, what are we then to make of <laughs> these verses? Uh, what is the Bible getting at here? And I, just, I want to start with just a couple qualifications or observations about power um, and the abuse of power. The abuse of power and authority is, is actually not an argument against the good or right use of power and authority, right? Um, I think that's, that's really important. And it, it's not simply the case to recognize an abuse of power and to call it out is actually to stop that abuse from happening, right? It's one thing to recognize it and see it. It's another thing to actually stop it from happening. You actually have to have power to stop it from happening, right? I think sometimes we're tempted, even as Christians, to think about power and authority in the world as a necessary evil in a fallen world, right? We, we need power and authority. God gives it simply because we need to restrain the effects of sin and evil. So it's, it's very curious that when we read this text, recognizing that this is an account of creation that's not fallen, uh, a creation that God calls very good, um, a creation which there's really nothing wrong or evil or sinful about it, and yet, nevertheless, God uniquely endows human beings with power and authority in relationship as stewards of creation. And so the, the question I really want us to wrestle with this morning is this, is how did God intend originally for power and authority to function in a positive sense in a very good creation? Why power? What's it for? And I think that if we're to address the deepest roots and, and understand the deepest roots of abuses of power, we need to understand what power is for. What is power for? Why did God give human beings power? And so I want to call your attention back to the very first sermon a couple weeks back. And I introduced to you in a general sense the, the image of God and what it means in Genesis. And I said at that time that to, to image God in creation is a kind of, it's a presencing of God, right? That the image, the image represents um, like the way we presence God to creation, right? The image of God is how it, the God has so chosen to relate to creation to, he has appointed human beings to presence him, to represent and mediate 
his relationship with creation through us, right? It's an incredible thing. And so this presence is, ex is expressed in particular through ruling, right? It's a ruling presence. Now, this is not the only way that God relates to creation. <laughs> God is present in different ways to creation. But there is a very special way that God wanted to be related to creation through image bearers, which as human beings. And remember, too, um, that the origins of this idea of image of God um, in Genesis reflect the, the broader culture of that time. There are all kinds of different stories of creation, different mythologies of how created uh, the story was created. And one of the very common ones that run across was the idea that, that the, actually the king, the male king, singular person, was an image bearer of the god or the gods. And, and he was like a vice regent. And what Genesis does, which is interesting, is apply that idea, but to apply it to all of human beings, universally, however rich or poor, and whether male or female, all human beings are invested with the image of God. In a sense, have this, this dignity of this royal office, if you will, of bearing the image on God's behalf. And, and even when you think about the kind of work that God has people do in creation, another contrast with the other stories of uh, Mesopotamia of that time is some of, the gods, some of the lesser gods created human beings to do the work that they didn't want to do, like dig canals and, and you know, harvest food, and so created human beings to do that menial work that they didn't want to do. But again, the contrast here with the biblical story is so different because God puts human beings in this place of dignity with work that has dignity. And again, this is what the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 8 when he, he, he identifies that, you know, what, is, what are we? We're just creatures like every other creature. But why have you been mindful of us, Lord? You have made us just a little bit lower than the gods, than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned us with glory and honor. So there is glory and honor that is directly connected to our status in creation, which involves power and authority, right? Now, when we, okay, so how does this relate? <laughs> uh, when it comes to the relationship um, to power and authority and how we think about our nature as human beings, it's, it's helpful to think in terms of, of office, the category of office, right? When by office, I mean like the office of the president, the office of governor, you know, or, or the office of, of mayor. You think about an office, right? The image of God is, is an office. Um, it's something um, it's like a political appointment that God has appointed us to. And, and this is really, the, this, if you're going to say, what is it that truly distinguishes human beings from the rest of creation? It's this, that God didn't appoint another animal in creation to this task, but he appointed human beings, right? And you could say, in a sense, we are elected to the office and position of image bearers. So now think about what it means to bear an office. To have an office, whether as a pastor or as a parent or as a teacher, or as a boss, it is to bear, uh, you know, it is to have certain privileges, certain honor, uh, but also certain responsibilities, uh, obligations, and accountability, right? That, that's the idea of, of, of office. Um, all of us bear the office of image bearers, which means that 
we have been given power and authority, right? To, this is how authority works. Authority is, is on the basis of an office. You've been authorized to do something on behalf of, of somebody else or for the nation or by God. Now, most of our conversations about power focus um, almost exclusively on the misuses and the abuses of power. But there's another way we sin in relationship to power that is the complete opposite direction. It is um, our refusal to take responsibility for being office bearers in creation. That's one way we sin with our use of power is we refuse power. We refuse authority, we disavow it, and in disavowing power and authority in our lives, what we do is we disavow our responsibility. We say, I'm not responsible. This is not my problem. Right? And it is this refusal to be responsible, to see oneself as responsible, that allows the abuse of power in the world to continue to flourish, right? Power is abused and flourishes in the world because we don't want to take responsibility and we're neglectful of our offices. Um, one of the most quotable lines of all of the Marvel movies from the very first Spider-Man movie, remember, Uncle Ben? as he's talking to Peter Parker, who's just discovered his spidey powers, and he's trying to get rich so he can buy a car to impress a girl, and Uncle Ben, sitting in the car with Peter, tells him, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. And Peter just dismisses him, tells him, you're not my dad. And he goes and he competes in this wrestling match, and he wins all this money, and then he goes to the event organizer, the fight organizer, and asks for his money, and the man refuses to give him all his money, right? And Peter's like, I need this money. And the man says, I forgot how that's my problem. And then right at that moment, right, a, a, a robber breaks in with a gun, holds them up, steals the money. And the event organizer, the fight organizer, turns to Peter and says, do something. And Peter says, I forgot how that's my problem. And the man makes off with the money. See, Peter had the power to stop the, ma- the robber, but he didn't want to take responsibility, right? Of course, you know how the story ends, right? This same man that Peter re- did not stop when he could have ends up killing his Uncle Ben, right? I mean, that, that is a perfect parable for the dynamics of, of abuse of power and negligence. With great power comes great responsibility. We all have power whether we like it or not. Whether you like it or not, God has invested and given to you power because you are an image bearer. You are responsible. Now, one of the ways that we exercise power with responsibility is by being keepers. Keepers. Keepers of community in particular. And there's a word in Genesis 2 that shows up when God puts Adam in the garden, it says it, he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And this word, both of these words are really important. But to keep is the word samar in Hebrew, which means to protect, to guard, to watch over. It is a word that has the sense of responsibility. 
And if you remember in the next, in chapter 4 of Genesis, in the story of Cain and Abel, uh, when God comes to Cain inquiring after his brother Abel, he says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I forgot to ask how that's my problem, in other words, right? And the answer, of course, to am I my brother's keeper is yes, you are your brother's keeper. But not only did Cain refuse to be a keeper of his brother, he actually was a destroyer of his brother, right? To refuse through neglect, to refuse through distraction, to be a keeper of community is actually to be a destroyer of community. Now, um, to be image bearers is to be a keeper. It is to be responsible whether you are like it or not. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You are responsible for the people that God has put in your life in close proximity to you. That means your children. That means your aging parents. That means your work colleagues. If you're a teacher, that means your students. That means your friends. That means your work colleagues. That means if you're a boss, that's your workers. You are responsible. As citizens and residents of the city of Milwaukee, the problems of Milwaukee are our problems. We are responsible. Now, I think a lot of times when we think about our lives, we don't think we have much power. But how, and what, how is this expressed? What does it mean to be a keeper? And there's a whole lot to say about this, but let me just point out one, is this. At the most fundamental level, to be a keeper of community is to be present. It's to be present. It's to show up. It's to give your attention. We think we don't have power, but it's you have power at the most fundamental level through your presence. Through your presence. This is how God exercises his power in the world. He exercises his power through his presence. (laughs) You come into the presence of the Lord and there's power. And how does that power work though? It's a power for new life. It's a power for healing. And that's the same in our own lives. Your simple presence, that you're paying attention, that you're showing up, has the power (laughs) to heal, has the power to nurture, has the power to change things. Again, that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Now, again, we think about abuse of power is the real problem, but what we fail to see is that our collective negligence creates the conditions in which abuse of power thrives and flourishes in the world. To be created in the image of God is to have great power and great responsibility. It is to be a keeper of creation and a keeper of community, and both of them are intertwined. The fate of creation is bound to the fate of human communities. And we are called to be keepers of both, whether we like it or not. Okay, so what, why though power? What is power, right? We've talked in one way, an exercise of power is to be a keeper, but there's another sense in which power functions. Um, Why does God, um, in an unfallen world, he's declared very good, Why does he need human beings to exercise power and dominion, especially in relationship to the created order? Now, even though God's creation is complete after the sixth day, and God says it's very good, there is a sense in which creation still contains within itself 
a, a kind of wildness, a kind of wildness that needs to be tamed. And that's that word subdue um, in the Hebrew has a reference to like when God created the world, I mean, you shouldn't assume that all animals necessarily were vegetarian, right? <laughs> in a pre-fallen world. I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of speculative to go there, but there is a sense that, you know, there's a difference between a garden and a forest. You know, God creates the universe. I mean, it's a wild place. A garden, though, is a, t- is a place in which the wildness of creation is beginning to become tamed and groomed, which actually unlocks its glory. Creation still has this, this sort of possesses this latent power or this latent glory that needs to be developed and released. And it's precisely this this power and responsibility of image bearers to bring creation to its full glory, to its full potential, right? Again, power in this context is not simply for our own self-advancement and enrichment or protection. It is for the sake of creation's own flourishing and fruitfulness. Because again, you get that, that language of be fruitful and multiply, right? To be able to bring new life into the world is power, right? Um, you could think of creation as like a newborn baby. A newborn baby is complete and total in his or her humanity. But we also recognize that this newborn baby isn't all that he or she can, should, and will be. There needs to be development. There needs to be growth and maturity. The newborn is no less a human than, than the adult, but there is a way in which that child needs to grow up to mature and to flourish as a person. And what God gives parents power and authority in the lives of their children precisely that they might grow up and become mature and flourish. Now, there is a, um, there's a way that God, the way God exercises power in the universe is really interesting. And it's so important that as we interpret these words and hear these words like dominion and subdue, that we pay attention to how God creates right, and how God rules. And uh, so when God commands things into existence, there's a very um, uh, unique Hebrew verb tense, which is called the jussive mood, the jussive mood. So there's a command. It's a way of commanding. And it's, it's reflected in the language of let it be. So if you're a military general and you say, make it so, do this, right, that is different. That's not the jussive mood. And that's not how God relates to creation. He doesn't just say this, that, do this, make it happen, God says, let it be. Let it be, right? This is the, that's the idea of the justice. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Let the water swarm with living things. Let us make man in our own image. Uh, Andy Crouch, um, reflecting on this, this is really his insight, I think, one of his great insights into this text, he says, reflecting on this idea of the Joseph, he says, let there be does not have to assert its power. It assumes it. It does not need to impose power. It indwells it. Let there be also suggest a multiplication of power that is not found in the preemptory phase, make it happen or make it so. When the words let it be ring through the universe, new being comes into existence where things were not existing before, each with their own capabilities, potential, and sphere of influence. When God exercises power in creating, 
He always seems to be giving away his power to the things he creates. When God exercises his power in creation, he always seems to be giving his power, just a little bit of power away to the things he creates, right? Um, Which means the things he creates through his power have their own integrity and, and a kind of independence of themselves. God as creator is not a micromanager of the universe. God doesn't say, okay, I gotta get up every single morning to turn the lights on. He creates the sun to do that. (laughs) He invests the sun with its own power and its own light and energy and heat to warm the universe. He doesn't have to do it personally himself every morning. And you see that he does that with all the different things he creates. He invests them with their own power and capacities and capabilities to then multiply more life. I think this is really important as we think about how God exercises power. Again, I've, I've already talked about parenting, but this is the idea with parenting as well, right? The younger your children are, the more power and authority you need to exercise in their lives because the more dependent they are, the more vulnerable they are, the less they, the less the, the more harm can come to them. But as they grow, as they mature, as parents, we give more and more power to them. We give more and more power away. We entrust more and more things as they take more responsibility. See, the goal of power and authority is not an end in itself. It's not like we should always are there just to keep it. It's always for the sake of flourishing. It's always for the sake of, of again, another word that Genesis 1 uses is a bringing forth. Because that's how God's power works. And that's how the right use of human power should work. Not to impose our will or our vision of the world upon others, or the, but to, in a sense, to release, to unlock the potential that is there. Right? This is what you do as a good teacher, or as a, if you're a coach, or you're a mentor. Right? You're trying to draw out, you're trying to unleash, you unlock all the potential of a child. And it's the same with creation. There's all this, this glory uh, that's sort of in it, right? Just let me give you one application to a very mundane uh, thing related to uh, the natural world. Before, um, for most of human history, the coffee tree was just one tree amongst many trees until some goat herders in Ethiopia saw some goats eating berries off a coffee tree and then acting erratically. And then they started to investigate, harvest some of these uh, berries, roast them, grind them up, and pour hot water over them, and all of a sudden, what do you have? a drink that billions of people every morning have, <laughs> right? See, uh, to riff on what Andy, Andy Crouch would say, he says, you know, wheat is good, but bread is very good. Grapes are good, but wine is very good. Cho- coffee cherries are good, but espresso is very good, right? You see that there's a way that, that you know, you think about even this piece of wood right here, which is um, black walnut. <laughs> there's a way that the craftsman, Dave Ribbons, draws out the beauty of the grain, makes it, makes it visible, right? That, see, that's, that's, how, that's how we do it as human beings, right? We, 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 that's what God wanted us to do. The authority is for the sake of unlocking and releasing the potential of creation's hidden glory. And so again, when you look at, you know, God has endowed human beings with incredible capacities and intelligence and creativity 
science, technology, the arts, history of human civilization, when you just look at what we're capable of doing, it's incredible. And all of these are expressions and manifestations of have dominion and subdue the earth. Now, the more power we possess, the more potential for good and glory increases, but also the more power we possess, the more potential for evil and harm increases, right? God endows us with incredible power over creation and within creation to extend its very goodness. But we all know too well that we have used our power not just for very good, but also for very bad. And even before the world um, was fallen and sin entered the world, God set limits and bounded our power. I think this is important to, re to remember. Um, God set a check on human power even before human beings started to misuse and abuse their power. No other creature in, in creation was given a limit but, except for human beings. And this was symbolized by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? You remember that God put two trees, well, there are a lot of trees in the garden, but there's the tree of, the, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you may not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one limit, the one limit within creation that was supposed to be a stop on the way we used our power. And what was the significance of eating of that tree? The serpent... When he tempts the woman, he says to her, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was for us to assert ourselves and to put ourselves in the place of God. It was a power grab. That's precisely what eating from that tree was. It was a power grab. It was an abuse of power and a violation of our office as image bearers. Because what we sought to do is said, I'm not satisfied simply to be an image bearer of God. I want to be God. I want to be um, the one who can say what is good and what is evil. And so in a sense, we take power onto ourselves in an absolute sense and forget that power is always derived. No longer did we see it as a gift to be carefully stewarded for the sake of the, extending the very goodness of creation and community. Instead, it was used for our own self-enrichment, for our own personal protection, and our own glory without God. And so if you know the story. Uh, after human beings sin, God comes and he gives the curse. And what you see in those curses and the, and the way they play out is, is a history of abuse and a history of violence because we exceeded the limits of power that God had given us. See, abuse of power happens when human beings take to themselves the knowledge of good and evil. That is at the essence and the core. We take to ourselves the knowledge of good and evil. We determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And through this, we not only do we destroy creation, but we also destroy community and we destroy one another. What we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ is a great reversal of power. 
what we see in Jesus is a great reversal of power. The one who spoke creation into existence became a creature within his own creation. The one who possessed power without limit became a dependent and vulnerable child in the womb of Mary. The one who could command legions of angels by a word became silent before his accusers. The one who in the beginning gave the command, have dominion, subdue the earth, himself was violently subdued in his body and dominated. The one who was the ultimate source and origin of all power in the universe became the ultimate victim of the abuse of power at the hands of those he created. Paul tells us in Philippians, even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And yet he did not remain a victim. Another casualty in the long history of violence and abuse, the victim became the victor. The victim became the victor. And Paul closes the second half of that verse, and he says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every, on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in the beginning, you created human beings set just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned us with glory and honor, and it was your intention that all things would be under our feet, flourishing. And yet we, Lord, have misused and abused our power and one another in this creation that you called good. And you sent us your Son, who through humility and through death was exalted, and he becomes the one who is truly crowned with glory and honor, and to whom all things are submitted. And Lord, we submit our lives to you, and we submit our lives to Jesus, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.